Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. I hope you're doing well. On this day that this episode is released, it is Valentine's Day. It's the day of love, my friends. And I just, I love that you're here. I'm celebrating our big, awkward love. Man, this is just, we've gone off the rails already. I apologize for that. It's actually, my wife and I celebrated our wedding marriage love anniversary uh, just a couple days ago on uh, February 9th. We've been married for 15 years, been together for 20 years. So, woohoo, I need some like, cheering sound effect there or something, but we still really like each other. So that's a win. Hey, we got a great guest for you. Before we get to that today, I want to remind you, if you haven't already, you definitely want to check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Every single week we do a free training teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So this is the step-by-step plan. This is the five-stage speaker success roadmap that we teach within the Speaker Lab, just walking you through exactly how to find and book speaking engagements. Even if you're brand new, even if you've been doing it for 10 years and you're just trying to figure out how to get booked more or get paid more, we're going to walk that through with you again by stopping by at freespeakerworkshop.com. You definitely want to check that out. All right, so today we are talking with my buddy Hugh Culver, which the name may ring a bell to you. He's actually a repeat guest. We had Hugh on all the way back in episode 10. That just feels like an eternity ago. But uh, Hugh is a uh, great guy, great speaker, and really knows a lot about the speaking world, speaking industry. So had him back. And today he's going to be sharing with us five things that every speaker needs to know or be thinking about within their speech to make the presentation and make the experience with the clients better. And so these are five very, very practical, tangible things. He's got some great stuff there. I learned a lot. I took a lot of notes myself as we went through this. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation, my interview with my buddy, Hugh Culver. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by my good buddy, Hugh Culver, who is, he's got his hand in a lot of things. And this guy is kind of an international man of mystery. How many countries have you been to? Oh, I've been to, I don't know, about a dozen, maybe. It seems like you've been to, I don't know, just outside looking at it, it feels like you're a guy that's been to all of them because you're kind of this adventurer, like just toy with our emotions here. Like what's the crazy thing that you've been working on lately? Like, because you do like these ultra races and these like all kinds of just crazy outdoor things. Yeah. So the last thing I did was a big endurance run, which was a 16 hour run on a famous trail on the West coast of Vancouver Island. And this year I'm cooking up uh, probably an endurance paddle event. So I race outrigger canoes now. And so I'm gonna, looking for a big endurance race. Probably it's going to be uh, to Catalina Island. You're crazy. Very cool. So this is, yeah. this is the kind of guy we get to hang out with. Now, actually, we had Hugh here 
way back on episode 10, and we will link up to that in the show notes. We talked about how he has built his speaking business, how he gets more speaking business. And uh, so we were chatting the other day and worked together a little bit. And he said, hey, I got five things every speaker needs to be thinking about in order to really improve their speech and to ultimately get more speaking business. So we wanted to kind of chat about this and have this dialogue here. So actually, let's do that. Before we get there, for people that aren't familiar with you, again, we'll refer back to episode 10, but give us kind of the 30 second version of who you are and what you do, and then we'll jump into these five things. Yeah, great. Thanks, Grant. Well, it's great to be back again. Uh, so I got a repeat guests. I, 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 I think you're I... like the second or third repeat guest. So, oh, that, man. so, so you, got, you got a lot to live up to. Oh, man, that's an honor. And by the way, you know, I'm a dedicated listener of your podcast, right? So I love it. No, I appreciate that. I got into speaking from the adventure travel industry. So I had this crazy background, whitewater guide, and then putting together a company with my partners, flying people to the South Pole. And now what I speak on is productivity. And it kind of harkens back to what the late Stephen Covey used to say, which was, we teach what we most need to learn. So I got into teaching productivity as a workshop leader, and then I got onto the main stage. And so really, I've been in the speaking business for over 20 years, but it's really been the last dozen years that I've been a main stage speaker. And I speak to corporate audiences all about how to be more effective with their time. Nice. Very good. And so like you mentioned, you've been doing this for a little while now. So obviously you've learned a few things along the way. So start us off. What are these five things that every speaker needs to be thinking about, whether they're a brand new speaker or a speaker that's been at it for a decade or more like yourself? What are some of these key lessons you've learned along the way? Okay, excellent. Well, you know, when I first got started, and I'm sure you can recognize this, so, you know, I first got started, I would go to a speaking engagement And initially it was colleges and schools. And then of course it was corporate engagements. And I would go to a speaking engagement and I would hope that I had a good audience and it was completely backwards approach. I was hoping I had a good audience and I was hoping it was the right time of the day, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to realize that this was a really ridiculously stupid way to approach the audience when I'm getting paid all this money and I go to all this trouble to get there and land the engagement and hotels and taxis, what I needed to do was I needed to make sure that I had a winning formula. And the first thing that I focus on is what's the problem I'm here to solve? And it sounds really simple, but that's the reason why the event planner or the bureau got you there in the first place. So, you know, when I look at my speech, there's really only about three or four things in my 60 minute speech that solves a problem. All of the rest of that is setting them up so that they're going to pay attention and lean in. Because what I want them to do is to walk away at the end and say, okay, Hugh, that was fantastic because I've got this one thing, or I've got this one thing. So the first thing is, what's the problem you're there to solve? And to be really clear about what you want them to say at the end. Grant, you know this really well, is that our speech is our best marketing tool. Right. So everything else is great. You got to have a website, you got to have a blog and you got to have videos, but it's the speech that's going to get you more referrals. And what I want is I want delegates to come up to me and say, you know, that was fantastic because, and here's the thing. And if they don't tell me that I'm going to ask them, I'll say, thank you for that compliment. And what's the one thing? Because what I want to do is I want them to refer me to their next event, the one that they're working on. And this is especially true in association audiences, but I also want them to talk to the event planner and for the event planner to know that I delivered something of real value. You know, so like when speakers come to me and they say, hey, Hugh, I'm an expert in financial planning. I go, okay, great. So to what audience and what's the problem that you solve? 
And if they don't have anything that's really sounds to me like a deliverable, like a bullet point deliverable, then what they've got is a nice to know type speech. Right. Right. A nice to know speeches don't pay. A couple of thoughts on that. I want to go back to something you said, even as kind of a precursor there that you said when you first started, you were going to audiences and hoping that you had a good audience. So one of the things I've noticed as a speaker, and we, you know, we've both given hundreds and hundreds of presentations, is there's so many variables that go into what make a, a presentation good or not. And a lot of them you can control, and there's a lot of them that you can't control. And so like you mentioned, time of day, the venue, the distractions, other things that may be happening in the environment there. So what is that balance of recognizing as a speaker, there are absolutely a lot of things that you can control, but there's certainly a lot of things that like you can't do anything about. Like I can't control that I'm in a hotel ballroom and next door there's another presentation and it's super loud or that my time got cut in half at the last minute. So you have some of those variables that are just totally outside your control or that you're giving the closing workshop on the last day of a four-day conference and everybody in there is just exhausted and doesn't want to be there. So you have some of those things that are just that may not work in your favor. So devil's advocate, how do you find that balance between your responsibility as a speaker and their responsibility as an audience member? Oh yeah, totally true. You know, I was just in Toronto last week giving a speech and as I was sitting there getting ready to go, the, the client, the vice president was leaning across and handing me little pieces of paper saying, Hey, can you cut it to an hour and 15? Hey, can you cut it to 60? Hey, can you cut it? Because they had all these staff presentations. So ideally, I think every speaker needs to be able to get up on stage and they need to be able to shorten their presentation either by jumping ahead in the slides. They should know how to do that. Or by taking out some story that no one's going to miss. They should also be okay. If everything crashes, and they have nothing but a microphone, and there's no PowerPoint. So as a professional speaker, you know, it's kind of crazy, Grant. Like, we go out there wanting to command these big, big prices, and then we want everything to be perfect for us. Sure, sure. And the reality is, look at any comedian or actor. I mean, they have to perform regardless of what the situation is. Right. And I think as professionals, we need to be okay with the fact that sometimes you're 60 minutes. Like, I think the shortest I've ever had – was 32 minutes or something like that. A 60-minute speech became 32 minutes. You just got to make it work. But what you don't do is you don't make excuses and you don't let the audience know that they're getting anything less than the best. You don't get up there and say, look, if I had more time or, gee, that's pretty embarrassing. There's or a slide I would love to show you right now. Right, yeah, I've got these 10 slides, man. They're killer. Or, well, we'll have to skip that video. Yeah. So don't, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that because you make the event planner look bad And you make the audience feel like they're ripped off, right? Right, right. So you got to get up there and say, okay, I've got a problem I'm here to solve. Now, my job as a professional is to figure out what's that problem, make sure I've got a speech that does that. And then secondly, make sure that if nothing else happens, I nail that problem by giving them proper delivery in the setup. You know, hey, I know what your problem is. Like, so in some way, either through a story or example or statistics, let the audience know that you understand them and their pain then make them a promise and then deliver on that promise. So how do speakers figure out what that problem is that they're solving? Because like you mentioned, there's a lot of speakers that especially early on where it's like, I don't know what problem I'm solving. I'm not even thinking about that. I just want to speak. Like I I did it once or twice and it was fun and then I got good feedback. I just want to speak. Or I hear a lot of times from speakers that say, I just want to tell my story. I have some crazy story that's happened to me or some crazy life experience. And uh, I I just have a cool story and I want to share my story. So 
how do we go from, I just want to speak, or I just want to tell my story, or right. I think the world needs to hear my message to feeling like I know exactly what the problem is that I am solving. And that may incorporate that my story and that may incorporate some elements of what I want to talk about, but how do we figure out what that problem is that we're ultimately solving? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And so there's, there's a lot of techniques, you know, that you can use. We talked about some of them in episode number 10, but I'll go over a couple of them. Let me start with an example. So I had a person come to me and he was a financial planner and he wanted to help people with financial planning for retirement. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. You know, I can see one-on-one, that would be really valuable. You could get clients that you're going to coach. But the reality is I've never seen on a convention agenda someone come in and help people plan for financial retirement planning after work. Like, you know, once in a while, maybe I've seen it, but what they want is they want financial planning when they're at work, because that's why they're going to the convention. They've got a job. So you need to understand that probably within all of the skills that you've got, there's something that's already being hired and that's what you should be going for, but be better than everybody else. So it's okay to have competition. It's good that your topic is showing up on convention agendas. You want that. You want to make sure that you're better than the other people. But, you know, like I speak on productivity partially because people are buying that. They're buying productivity. They're overwhelmed. And so I'm going to speak on productivity to people that have a job. A couple of things you can do. So really simple thing is to look at what's selling in the bookstores. So go on Amazon, do some research. What's selling? Like what are hot topics right now? Anything to do with the mind is really hot. Anything to do with health for baby boomers is super hot. Anything to do with mindfulness. So look at what's really hot and say, okay, do I have expertise that actually fits with that market? That's one way. Another way is to look at agendas. Mm -hmm. So go on to Google or your browser, type in association colon agenda, type in a convention colon agenda and start looking at, you can even add in your city name. So you can go association Denver colon agenda. And then what you're looking for is are anything to do with my expertise showing up on agendas. And so again, you want to look for what's already being bought, but you want to be better than the competition. Beautiful. So you got Amazon, you've got just looking on agendas, anything else we can do to figure out what's being hired for or what's popular? Another trick is to go on to speaker bureaus, websites and Mm -hmm. look at top speakers. So go on to speaker bureaus, websites, and what's going to happen is they're going to profile their top speakers. So get rid of all the celebrities, you know, unless you're like a weightlifter or you're just, you know, flew around the moon or something. So what you want to look for is you want to look for the professional speakers and you want to look for what their topics are, because those people have spent a lot of years to figure out and refine down. Here's a topic that's a killer topic, this topic. Also, pay attention to how they phrase it. That's another really important thing is what did they do to take something like customer service and make it interesting? Right. Because you need to understand that when the event planner, whether they're internal or they're professional external event planner, when they are looking for speakers, they've got like a nanosecond to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And if they see something like, you know, 101 ways to be better at customer service, they're going to flip on by because it just doesn't sound interesting. So you need to figure out how to take something that we've all heard about before, you know, and then make like leadership or something to do with employee engagement or something to do with, um, you know, customer retention and make that interesting. Cool. All right. So the first thing was to yeah. solve a problem. What's the second thing that every speaker needs warm to do? Up, 
warm up an audience. You know, I've seen, you've seen it too, Grant. You see speakers arrive just before they got to get on stage and then they leave immediately afterwards. To me, it's a big mistake. So there's pre and then there's during and then there's after. And so in the pre phase of warming up an audience, I mean, I actually phone delegates ahead of time. I actually record conversations with delegates. This is all kept confidential, but I'm using that information to understand their lingo, what their problems are. When I arrive at the event, you know, usually I'm arriving the night before. And then if there's an, an event happening, I'll try and go in there and mingle with some of the people. I'll usually, I've already met some of them on the phone. But at the very minimum, I'm going to come in at the beginning of the day and I'm going to have a meal with them and I'm going to hang out with them. And, you know, it's kind of silly, but it sounds silly maybe. But when I have breakfast with delegates, like I'll sit at three different tables, you know, like I'll start my meal here and I'll say, hey, great to meet everybody. I'm just going to head over here. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to meet as many people both so that I can learn more about what's going on with them and their world. And, but mostly it's so they can warm up to me. They get used to me. And I reduce all of my nervousness. And so when I get up on stage, to me, it's just like I'm carrying on the conversation. It's just, I'm just continuing the conversation I've already started. I'm not getting up on stage cold, looking out at a bunch of strangers. So warm up the audience beforehand. And then on stage, really have scripted and practice your first seven minutes. Because that's when they're going to be the most judgmental. Right, right. You mentioned like uh, going to breakfast and kind of interacting with mm-hmm. attendees before you speak. One of the things I've noticed is that until you speak, they have no clue who you are right now. After you speak, yeah. oh, you were the speaker. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I enjoyed your set. That story you told, that was funny. That was interesting. You know, so after you speak, it's night and day than before you speak, right? Absolutely. And so before you speak, it's you introducing yourself. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm the speaker. I'm doing the keynote, you know, this afternoon. And they want to know, well, what do you speak about? What are you going to tell Tell us something, you know? So how do you find a, even just kind of um. I find for a lot of speakers are very introverted. So the idea of going and sitting down at a table of strangers or just working a room at a mixer where everybody knows each other and you're the outsider, any tips or strategies on that that have worked for you? Sure. So, you know, and that's exactly what happens, right? So you sit down at the table and now it's this kind of awkward moment because they all know each other. So first of all, I think it's fair to say a lot of speakers are actually introverted, but what they'll tell you is that they are able to be extroverted in the moment, right? True. So they, Very true. they can pull it out. And so in that moment, when you sit down is when you want to just reach out and say, Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm the speaker this afternoon. My name's Hugh right away. Everybody will put out their hand. They go, Hey, I'm Jim. I'm Sherry. Everybody will do that. That's all you've got to do. But then what I try to do next is I have a conversation with the person beside me. That's, it's no big deal. They're going to want to do it. All I need to remind myself is that I need to start the conversation. Once I start it, it's off and running. Yeah. But if I don't start that conversation, well, now we got this weird elbow to elbow, you know, like it's weird. So, right. so you, what you need to do is you need to be, you know, situationally extroverted. And so in this situation, I say to myself, hey, all I got to do is come over and say, hey, can I sit here? Great. And I know what's going to happen. They're going to say, great. And then I'm going to say, my name's Hugh. And they're going to say, great, here's my name. So in those moments, just do a little bit of a reach out. Because the beauty is, when I get up on stage, it feels so comfortable. I'll even get a bigger applause when I get introduced. Because now it's like I've got a bunch of friends out there supporting me in the audience. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's only weird if you make it weird whenever you're uh, interacting with other human beings. So, all right, so we got solve a problem, warm up the audience. What else you got? The next thing is what you need to do is you need to make them work. 
Now right. this is going to be new for a lot of speakers, but I have been doing this for like years, like dozen years. You need to make the audience work. And here's the reality is, first of all, if you want to stand out, if you make the audience do something, you're going to stand out because most of the other speakers don't. Most of the other speakers have one style, which is to get up there. And, you know, they may do theater and humor and comedy and have a great PowerPoint, but they're going to do all of the talking. What I've discovered is that if I can make the audience work in a really safe way, so it's not awkward, like I don't ask them to put up their hands and do that kind of stuff. I don't ask them to get up and hug a bunch of people. I don't ask them to like give someone else a massage. But if I can make them do something that's comfortable and it's relevant to the learning, then not only will they retain more of what I was able to share with them, but also what's going to happen is they're going to be much more alive and awake during my presentation. So really simple stuff to do is to get them to write stuff down. So that's super easy. Okay, so make a little note, draw a graph. Maybe you've got some little exercise they can do. Like sometimes when I um, am starting off and I've maybe I've covered the objectives for my speech, if I've got a little bit of a longer time slot, I'll get them to write down. I'll say, pick up the card I've just put on your table. Or if there's hotel notepad, I'll say, grab a piece of notepad. And I want you to finish this sentence. And the sentence is, what I most need to learn is. And I get them all to finish that sentence. And that might be enough. Maybe I stop there if I don't have a lot of time. Or maybe what I do is I get them to read it to the person next to them. Or I might get them to stand up. And I might get them to go and meet three people. And each time they read it, they share it. And then they switch cards. This is a little trick I've got, which is they switch with the other person. And now they've switched three times. When they come and sit down, they've got someone else's card in front of them. And if I've got more time, I might say, well, let's hear what's on your card. And I, I might clever. hear from a few people. Yeah. Now it's, they don't feel uncomfortable because it's not their card. Not anymore. Right. So simple exercise, like a dyad. So maybe after about 12 minutes, I'm at a point where I've just taught a lesson and now I want to take a pause and get them involved. So I might say, I want you to turn to your partner and I want you to share with them. How could you use that in your life? Or turn to your partner and I want you to share which one of those three things on the slide are most important to you. Now, the trick here, Grant, is that once you teach people to respond, like in that first maybe seven minutes when you get them to write something down or turn to their partner, once you get them to respond, you've now taught them that this is safe. And it's gonna, it gets easier and easier. So in a typical hour, I might do something like that four times. I think you mentioned like each time you do it, you build more rapport and you build more connection and trust with the audience. So it may start as something as simple as just everyone raise your hand or something along those lines, just to get some level of interaction. And by mm -hmm. the fourth or fifth interaction, it may be turn to your partner and tell them something. I don't know, but right. you build that rapport and trust over time rather than coming right out of the gate. And, and, but I like even just that you're mentioning, uh, involving the audience. So it's not just you oh. as a talking head, but it, it feels more like an interactive experience. Yeah, really good. And there's a couple of tricks to it, Grant. Like you definitely want to be able to contain yeah. the experience. And so what I've learned is that you need to understand how to give instructions once and make it perfect. Because if you have to repeat yourself or people are looking confused, it's a disaster. So you need to understand how to give the instructions once perfectly so everybody gets it. And then when you're done, you call them back in. So I might say, come on back in or please take your chairs or something like that. But it has to be said once. I say it once and then I get going. So one of the tricks I use is 
I always tell them the first thing to do and how much time they have. So if, if I'm going to say, pick up the notepad from the hotel and I want you to finish this sentence, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Ready? Go. So now they know the thing to do and they know how much time they've got. And the whole idea is I want them to understand that we're moving along at a fairly brisk pace here. I'm using my time well. And also what I want them to know is that when it's time for me to call them back in, I've already told them that's going to happen, right? You got 30 seconds, come on back in. So about four times during an hour, I do that. And what I'm also looking for is I want them to keep focusing in on what am I going to do? So it's always about what is most important to me. And the idea is that at the end of the hour, they've got one or two things that they've already committed to doing. So in other words, they're doing the work already in the room, as opposed to, oh, I've learned a whole lot of stuff. I'm going to go home and look at my notes. I want them to do the work during the hour. I like it. All right. So we got to solve a problem, warm up the audience, make them work. Number four. Okay. Number four is teach with stories. Okay. So now this is a real art form, but everybody knows that people love stories. What happens when we hear a story is it creates this image in our mind. It's like a movie is going off in our head. So as I describe walking into this restaurant, or as I describe this conversation with my client, or as I describe talking to my kids, they're going into their head and they're seeing it as a picture. So a story becomes a really valuable anchor for the lesson. And so the formula that I use, it spells out slap. So S-L-A-P. So the idea is to slap our audience, right? So I start with a story and I don't introduce it. I don't say, oh, let me tell you a story or, hey, we finished one lesson. Let me tell you a story. I just simply jump into the story because I know that as soon as I start the story, the audience leans in, they go quiet and they lean in. And I might say something like, hey, maybe this has happened to you or last year when I flew home. And that's the first part as I tell the story. The second is L for lesson. So now I teach the lesson. So I might teach the lesson around changing my mindset. I might teach the lesson about moving from judgment to curiosity. I might teach a lesson around planning for my week. So I teach the lesson just like I normally would. And then I move to some kind of application. And what I'm doing in the A for application is I'm giving them suggestions on how they can use this in their life. And this is really important. If you've ever heard a speaker deliver a great lesson and then move on, they've made a big mistake because the lesson is awesome. So here's a way for you to manage your employees. Here's a way for you to delegate better. But what they haven't done is they haven't helped the delegate to know how to use it. And that's the application part. So for example, I might say, so if you want to plan for your week, a great thing to do is block 15 minutes on Friday. Or for example, what you might want to do is you want to make a, you know, you may want to do this first thing on Monday. Or if I'm talking about taking better care of your health, I might say, well, a great way to do this is to park your car farther away from work. Or a great thing to do is to take a break at 1030 in the morning or to use a part of your lunch break or whatever it is. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give them a bunch of examples. And then what I'm going to do is I'm moved to P, which is participation. And this is the optional part. And this is when I say, now turn to your partner, or I want you to write it down, or I want them to do something with the lesson. So story, lesson, application, how do I use it? And then P is participation. Beautiful. All right, so we've got to solve a problem, warm up the audience, make them work, teach with stories, bring it home. Number five. Number five is make it about them. So throughout your speech, you need to continually make it about the audience. So here's a quick 
check for everybody listening to this is how often do you say I and how often do you say you? Because if you're talking about I, 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 me, 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 that's great. And it might even be entertaining. But the reality is the audience is there selfishly. The audience is at this convention selfishly. Now, and it doesn't you know, come out that way. But the reality is they paid money. They traveled. They want to meet their friends. They want to get something out of it. They want to come away with more motivated. They want to come away with some solutions. And so if you're up there going, I, 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 me, 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 what you're not doing is you're not saying you can, here's an opportunity for you. So the first thing is to check is what's the orientation around the way that you speak. The second thing is to look at is what are the examples even that you're using? So what I noticed with some of my speaking colleagues is they spend a lot of time in airplanes. They spend a lot of time in taxis. That's not where a lot of people spend their time. Mm -hmm. Most people in the audience don't spend their time in airplanes, taxis, and hotels. So look at the kind of examples that you're using and use examples that they can relate to. So in other words, reduce the distance between you as the professional speaker and the delegate that's sitting out there in the audience that's waiting for something that they can grab onto and they can use in their life. So we've got solve a problem, warm up the audience, make them work, teach with stories and make it about them. Now we touched on this at the very beginning, but like Hugh, why does all this even matter? Like, why is this important? Because if you are a great speaker, that's cute. That's great. And hopefully we make a little dent in the world. But what does that translate to in terms of business? Yeah, well, my experience has been that one speech should lead to more speeches. It's as simple as that. And I can do all the marketing in the world. And, you know, you and I know lots about that. The reality is that when I'm in front of 300 people, there's probably 10 people in the room that are thinking about or working on some other event. And certainly the event planner who's in the room is working on lots of other events. And so my job is to be relevant, entertaining, but also useful, like helpful. Like my job is to help those people. And if you can do all of those things, then it's natural for people to say, well, I want that in my event. Like I want that message in my event. And so what I'm talking about today is just how to take like even your existing content. Maybe you are, you got great content around whatever topic you talk about, but just packaging it so that people in the room are getting huge value from it. And they're going to want to bring you to their next event. Yeah, I would a thousand percent agree. I know we're both on the same page with that, that your best marketing at the end of the day is just showing up and doing an absolutely insanely good job. And this right. is not true with just speeches. This is true with anything. I mean, think about your favorite restaurants, the favorite experiences that you've had. The reason that you talk about those isn't because you, you got to check out this billboard. There's this billboard for this product. is <laughs> No, it's like the product is so stinking good. One of our favorite restaurants here locally is this little hole in the wall place. And their marketing sucks, but the food is so stinking good that it's the place that we recommend and we tell people about. So your best marketing is doing these things, is showing up and making sure that you're solving a problem, that warming up the audience, of making the audience work, of teaching with stories, of making it about them. And that's ultimately how you really build a successful speaking business. Now, I know, Hugh, that we've literally just scratched the surface. We've, we've been talking about a half hour here. And so there's only so much we can cover in a half hour. But I know you've got a, a training going on that is is really kind of covers the gambit of really how to build your business of speaking. And I've actually, you're letting me be a little part of that. So why don't you give us the nutshell of what you're working on? Yeah, you're a big part of it. Well, this is our third year offering the business of speaking school. And I'm always super excited about it. It's something I offer once a year and I bring in good buddies 
like you, Grant, of course. Michael Port's going to be a part of it. We also have Ann Nguyen is back again this year. Ann hires over 200 speakers a year as an event planner. And it's an eight-week program where I bring in the best of the best. And this is where speakers can learn about the business side of speaking. And so this is really focused on how do I earn money? How do I set my fees? How do I market myself? How do I build a platform? And then moving even into how do I get products that will create some passive income for me? And how do I build a team? So it's eight weeks. It happens once a year. It's happening at the beginning of March. And right now we're in the, actually in the launch phase. So we're opening the doors and people are coming on board. And it's, it's just a really exciting way for me to really put a ton of energy into helping speakers to get on the main stage, but also build a real business. Awesome. We'll be sure and link up to that. People can find out more information about that over at thespeakerlab.com slash boss, thespeakerlab.com slash boss. I would encourage you to check it out. As Hugh mentioned, I was a part of it last year and able to hang out with the community and with the students and help answer questions and give some of our insights and wisdom on the what little wisdom I've got to share with you on how to build the business of being a speaker and how to market yourself. Like you mentioned, you've got some other great people that are a part of it. Mutual friend, Michael Port. So I'd encourage people to definitely check it out, thespeakerlab.com slash boss. Hugh, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you. Any final words of wisdom or where else can we find you before we wrap up here? You know, well, thanks again, Grant. Like, I just love being with you and it's great to be back on the show. The thing about speaking is, I know it's a bit cliche, but it really is a privilege. I mean, I always consider it a privilege. I mean, not only do we get paid in many cases, like a huge amount of money for a short amount of time, but it's a privilege to be on stage because you get people's attention. And I think that if there's just a few things that you can do so that you can also help people to take action, you're going to have an incredibly successful business around speaking. So keep thinking around, okay, what can I do so that I'm relevant enough and I'm actually effective enough in those 60 minutes or three hours or whatever I've got so they do something different. And if you can help people to do something different with their life or their work or their relationships, you're going to have more business than you can handle. Beautiful. Very well said, Hugh. We appreciate again you uh, taking the time to come hang out with us. One more time, I'd encourage people to check out thespeakerlab.com slash boss and check out what the boss program is all about. So I look forward to hanging out with you there, Hugh. Thanks, buddy. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Hugh Culver. Great stuff, huh? I mean, the dude really knows his stuff. So let's recap here. We got solve a problem, warm up the audience, make them work, teach with stories, and make it about them. Really good stuff from Hugh there. And like we mentioned, if you're interested in checking out the Boss program, the business of speaking school that Hugh teaches, you definitely want to stop by at thespeakerlab.com slash boss. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash boss. Check that out. Like I said, uh, and Hugh mentioned, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be doing some teaching and training within that as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So you definitely want to make sure that you check it out over at thespeakerlab.com slash boss. Okay, boys and girls, that wraps up episode 120120. And I uh, appreciate you hanging out with us really do means a lot glad you're here and uh, always uh, get a lot of emails from people that, that talk about how the shows help them they listen to the show and so that, that really means a lot I really do appreciate that and I hope I'm able to uh, help you in some small way in your speaking journey and help you be successful and help you uh, share your message with the world so hope you have a great rest of the day my friend we'll catch you next time you're awesome <laughs>